Hey there, it's Jake. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Online Hustle is a bit of a time capsule. It's from a podcast I used to run between 2012 and 2016. You're going to hear some references to that show, uh, to businesses and content that may have changed or may not even exist anymore. This is episode 19. Today's guest is Damien Thompson from Lynchpin. Now, Damien provides, I guess you could say, content for startups in the tech space. Now, he has this thing called the playbook, which really digs deep into their customer personas and allows him to get a good idea of how he can then provide content that's going to see a return on investment. It's very important that we all look at this. One thing that is prevalent in this industry is content. Now, what isn't prevalent is good content that is getting a return on investment. So I want to make sure you as a multimedia marketing show listener is in the second category. So I want to ensure that we're all producing content, which is valuable and sees a return on investment to us as a result. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this episode with Damien Thompson. Damien, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Jake? I'm fantastic, and I'm so glad to get you on here today. Now, you specialize in something which I think is very important for content marketers and multimedia marketers, and that is creating that content. And actually, I guess you could almost say you put the marketer in content. (laughs) Okay, I like that. I'll I'll steal that. I'll steal that and clean that as my own from now on. Yeah, fantastic. So why don't you explain to our listeners a little bit about what you're currently doing and then maybe give us a little bit of a, a background as to how you got to where you are right now. Okay. So yeah, I'd love to say this was some grand plan and that I figured it all out and I sat down on a whiteboard and had this Machiavellian scheme to, to get something right. But you know, I talk a lot with a lot of the, my mentors and the people I really respect. And it seems that a lot of them have this kind of the one big idea that kind of ends up defining them a little bit, but also what people really say, hey, I really, I latch on to that. And I was always looking for one. And every time I tried to find one or was like purposely tried to create one, it just didn't really work out. So I stumbled into mine. I have this background of sales and marketing for the last 15 odd years in high-end technology companies. I say high-end enterprise. So McAfee, Symantec, the the big end of town, but also then in startups. So every kind of four or five years, I would get bored and jump into the startup thing. But again, always in software or software as a service. So a couple of years ago, when I decided to, uh, I wanted to get back to my own thing, and you listeners can't tell from this thick American accent, but I'm actually half Australian, the, the good half. When I when I decided I wanted to leave America again and go back, I was heading back to Australia originally and said, okay, I'm going to take a little detour in Southeast Asia. And while I'm doing that, I'll just do, hang up my consulting shingle and use my wealth of knowledge in sales and marketing and figure out what to do. And as you do when you first start your consulting business, you take all comers. So you do everything you can to basically anybody. And very quickly, you realize how hard that is to do and how difficult it is to deliver real value. So I really want to start niching down. And the thing that I really loved was content creation. I like you know the idea of educational-based marketing. And content marketing is nothing new. The, the terminology is new. It's the kind of big, bright, shiny thing right now. But educational-based marketing has been around forever. A hundred years, they were doing advertorial type of things. So that's not new. It's just because of the internet, you have it. It's really easy to distribute this stuff now. So I started focusing just on content marketing. And at the time, I was a per hour consultant. And one of the things that's really difficult when you do consulting for companies is 
is really to in order to essentially I end up being a ghostwriter for these companies and I create content for them in their voice that goes out under their name. But it means I have to understand their business and they understand their business. They live it. They live it. They breathe it. They're there every day. So the very beginning of an engagement for me with a client was always a lot of research. And I had customers bristle. Oh, you're charging me 10 hours of research. I know what that means. You're playing Angry Bird. And no, I really need to understand who your company is. And so I got tired of having this fight with customers at the very beginning about how much time went into actually creating the knowledge base I needed to be successful for them. And so I created, I, I decided instead of doing hourly, I would create this deliverable product that I was calling the content marketing playbook. And people loved it. And it's exactly what I was doing for the hourly. What's well, actually grown and gotten bigger and more expensive. But the idea was having this deliverable product that way, whether the customer wanted to continue to work with me or not, they'd have this deliverable thing. And this playbook was what it sounds like. It's a playbook. It's a blueprint for your content marketing strategy. That's fantastic. So this playbook, this or this productization of a service, it sounds relatively familiar. Where did you decide to actually productize a service? So I've been thinking about it for a long time. So my first startup uh, in, in Sydney back in 2000, uh, I was a co-founder of a company called Zento there in Milsons Point that we did what at the time we called managed, it was MSP, a managed service provision, which was really software as a service before it was called software as a service. And what we did was we went out to some of the bigger law firms in Australia and some of the bigger companies in Australia and said, okay, instead of you trying to manage your security, like technology security, so firewalls and antivirus and intrusion detection systems, instead of you having one of your guys try to learn how to do this, we have this team of experts and we'll do it for you. And it was, you know, it was literally that. It was a managed service. So instead of paying twenty grand for a, a firewall, you give us you know $3,000 a month for 24 months or whatever it happens to be. And this bundling services, which I've always loved the idea of delivering services as a product. And then as – that was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And then as my career has progressed – in pure marketing or pure consulting terms, it's always better to productize your consulting because when you're on the hourly, you're always trading philosophically, you're always trading time for money, right? When you're doing something, but you want to make sure there's, I think the thing about having a productized services is there's a clear deliverable and expectations are the most important thing to manage when you're managing client relationships is having a clear understanding of what's going to be delivered. And so saying, you give me X dollars and I'll deliver Y product. It's always better than you give me X dollars per Y hour and I don't know how long it's going to take or I'll guess how long it's going to take. I think a lot of the big thinkers these days in, in our circle that Jake, you and I know quite a few of the same people, they would agree that productization is the way to go. And really, instead of being software as a service, I joke and say, it's I do service as a service. <laughs> Put a product on it. Yeah, this fantastic. Listeners, a really fantastic book to learn a little bit more about this productization of service is a book called Built to Sell by John Warillo. I think that's a fantastic book. It's very consumable. I guess you could say it pretty much tells a story about a company who goes off and uh, turns a service that they're delivering a graphic design service into a, a productized service. And it's very easy to consume and very interesting. It's brilliant. I hate those. I generally hate those parable type books where they pretend there's a story when really it's trying to teach you eight t things. But that is a great book. And yes, I'm essentially building a business similar to him. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Now, we're just getting a little bit off track there. So let's bring it back in. And that's my fault. Now, so Damien, who are you working with now? Who's your typical client? 
Yeah, so my ideal client profile is a early stage funded software as a service company. So generally for me, that means somebody that you know has some traction, have gone out and have enough of a business, they've convinced a venture capitalist or a super angel to fund them anywhere from half a million to $5 million, but they're still rather small and growing fast. So what, what I do is I can come in and be their, for lack of a better term, their chief content officer. So generally I work with their head marketing guy. So their VP of marketing, director of marketing, whatever they call that guy. But generally, there's only one of them, right? So if they're very heavy in the product side, you know, they've created the prototype, they've got an engineering team, they've been on version two of the product, and they've got a marketing strategist, but he's being pulled a million different directions doing a bunch of things. And really, what my company does is say, okay, we'll come in and we'll, ha- we'll help you devise your content marketing strategy and actually do it for you so you can worry on product marketing and positioning and all those kind of things. Yeah, fantastic. All right, listeners, we've got a little bit of background now. We know what Damien does. Of course, like with all of our episodes of the Multimedia Marketing Show, we like to go in and give you some actionable tips and advice. Now, before the call, I was able to twist Damien's arm and I've convinced him that we should go deep into the playbook and look at the five important key areas inside this playbook. Now, this is something where you should go out and grab your pen and your paper and get ready because uh, this is something that Damien charges multiple thousands of dollars for his clients to actually do. So you're in for a treat in this episode. Okay, Damien, so why don't you just quickly detail the five key areas of the playbook? Okay, Jake. Yeah. So the first area is uh, your content marketing goals. And in a lot of plans, a lot of strategy, it's that great 37 signals thing of planning is vital and plans are meaningless. So this is not about having this I'd like to think that when you're done, this thing in your hands is is a good strategy book. It's a good guideline. It's a playbook, a blueprint. But really, there's so much value in actually doing the planning process. And one of those things is setting your content marketing goals. So you have a number of goals, obviously. And to me, the biggest question you always have to ask is, why are you doing this? Why are you doing content marketing? Content marketing, and I run a content marketing agency, content marketing is not the end-all, be-all. It is not the only thing you should be doing. It is not the panacea for all of your ills. I like it. It's something I like to do, but it's not right for everybody. And if the answer is, why are you doing this? Because everyone else is, that's probably not the right answer. So you need to take a really hard look at why you want to do content marketing because there's so much out there. There's so much garbage on the internet. The last thing you want to be doing is creating more garbage. So if you're going to do this, it's going to take a commitment. It's going to take investment of time, money, or both in most cases. So you want to set aside your goals for content marketing. Now, there's a couple of fuzzy goals generally, right? Like brand awareness, reinforcement, those kind of good things. But really, the technology, the way it is today, you should set some pretty hard goals as well. Like it's lead generation, it's lead conversion, right? So you should be creating content that says, okay, I want to increase the number of visitors I have. I want to increase how long they stay on my site. I want to increase the percentage of them that opt into my marketing funnel, whatever that happens to be, an email autoresponder or call me or whatever your call to action is. But really define some real number generated kind of KPIs or key performance indicators for what the content's going to do and have that specific to your business. And this is one of those things that in a lot of cases, you're going to have to guess. You you can do some research and Google some stuff and get some kind of generalities of the marketplace. Make those your beginning and reassess every 60 days. But you want to start thinking about real numbers and real metrics. And that's the first part is having some goals for why you're doing this. The second section is is messaging strategy. So when I talk strategy, I talk a little bit. This is old school marketing here, but it's old school because it works. So you look at the very successful big consumer goods companies like Procter & Gamble. 
And what they do very well is realize that marketing is about building trust. And the way you build trust with someone is you understand them. You get them. People buy from people who are like them, right, who, who understand them, who they know and trust. So this is really about having a clear understanding of who you are, who your customer is, and how the two of you should meet. So we started this by talking about a little bit about first your unique selling proposition and your USP or unique selling proposition. This is something that gets beat up a lot these days, but it's very important. It's also called a value proposition sometimes. Uh, so essentially what it is, it's your, we are a X company for this type of customer who buy this way that benefits them in this manner, unlike someone else. So like for me, my unique selling proposition is Lynchpin is a content marketing agency that helps software as a service companies gain new users faster, retain existing subscribers longer, and maximize profit per customer by using content marketing, right? So that's a very clear, if you hear that, who my customers are, who I am, you know what we do. Right. You need to understand that. The second thing is what I call an ideal client profile or persona or some people call it an avatar. And this is where you create an ideal version of who you should be selling to. And you can really deep dive on this and get really specific about some of the, the big consumer companies get to the point where they do like demographic stuff. Our, the average purchaser of Tide dishwashing detergent is a 36-year-old housewife from the rural wherever and like really dig and they give them names like it's Tammy and, and Barbara. And it, for most businesses, you don't have to go that deep. But what you want to know is you want to know, give them a name. If you're doing B2B, it's give them a name and a title and have some basics, which is you, know, you want to have some demographic understanding of age and gender and location, more from language. People talk differently. Do they have, if, if you're selling to technical audiences, what kind of technical jargon do they use? If you're talking to what level of school have they attended? Things where you can really, where you can really narrow in on what language to use. What's their background? What are some favorite websites they might have? Do you want to create this persona of who your ideal client is. And generally, there's multiple of them. So again, I'll use myself as an example here. My two primary personas are, my first persona is uh, a founder, a technical founder who hasn't hired a marketing person yet and wants to do some marketing, but is afraid. In the startup world, one of the big fears is, one of the big hires that is hard to do is your first chief, your chief marketing officer. A lot of these technical founders, they want to start marketing, but they don't want to hire this marketing strategist yet. When I'm talking to that person, the way I speak to them is different than when I'm talking to that chief marketing officer who's there. The value that I can deliver is different. The chief marketing officer understands some of the marketing jargon I'm going to use. And my value to him is I can take some of the huge amount of work he has off his plate. When I'm talking to the technical founder of the business, my, my responsibility is to him is that, hey, I can do some of your marketing for you and I can make this simple understand. I can make it very analytic and I can make it very measurable because you're you know an engineering background. So really understanding who the buyers are and how they do it. And that leads into the, the buying stages. So when you look at a kind of a, a buying stage of your audience, there's going to be everyone's at a different stage of the audience. So you, know, you get the first stage, which is like the unaware. They don't know they have a problem. They don't either don't know they have a problem or have a problem and are unaware there's actually a solution to it. And then like the second stage might be the like research where, okay, now I know there's a problem. Let me see who's out there. And then they go into evaluation where they're trying to look to see what's, what, what can they evaluate? What solutions are they? And then the purchase, obviously. And then there's the post-purchase. 
So each one of these stages of the buying cycle, you want to you're going to map different types of content to. So when someone's in the unaware or the awareness stage, your content's going to be very much about pain, right? It's going about agitating pain or making them aware, hey, we understand you have problem X, Y, and Z. There is a fix for that. Right? And then when they're information search, then your content's going to be much more information heavy. So maybe I'm talking about white papers and that sort of thing. Valuation, you want to start differentiating yourself. If you have to understand your buying cycle and the buying stages each your customer's at, so you can map your content to that. And then the last part of your messaging strategy is the keyword or key message. And I don't mean keywords in a gaming Google SEO kind of way. Understanding there is some value in long tail keyword search, and there's some value in understanding how your customers talk. But that's what really we're talking about here is more about what language do your customers use? Because what you use and what they use are not always the same thing. All right. So you might call it search engine optimization or SEO, and they call it rank better in Google. Right. So you want to understand what kind of terminology they're using, again, not to game the search engines, but more so you can talk to them in their language. The third stage is about really reviewing and putting a plan in action for your funnel. And essentially, there are there's multiple different kinds of funnels, uh, but essentially there are three primary funnels. Uh, so one would be your your kind of inbound marketing slash lead nurturing funnel. So this is someone comes to your site. They're not ready to buy now or to even use a trial or to talk to you or anything else, but they are information gathering. So you then create a funnel to put them in. And that might be, the funnel doesn't have to be very hard. It doesn't have to be an email autoresponder. It can be just your blogging. So it's their RSS feed. You know, you're, you're feeding them information in that buying stage they're ready for. And then generally, so then I, you know, you look at you know, your onboarding or trial funnel, which is important in kind of trial-based businesses that I offer, like software as a service companies. But then your sales funnel is different too. So your sales funnel is how do I get someone from marketing to sales? And how do I actually close the deal? And there's a bunch of great people out there for you know autoresponder stuff, but you know it's really having a clear understanding of people's intent when they're on your site or when they engage into your, your marketing and talking to them, not just in their language, not just what buying stage they're at, but what their goals, hopes, and dreams are. You know, one of the things, the biggest mistake people make in marketing, the second biggest mistake, the biggest mistake is thinking everybody's the same, right? And not realizing that it depends. But the second biggest mistake people make in marketing is being way too me-focused, Right. My software is awesome. My, my, my website design business is, is amazing. My XYZ company is awesome. We're better than everybody else. No one cares that you're better than everybody else. No one cares what you think about your company. What your customer cares about is, do you understand me? Do you understand my pain? Do I have belief that you can help fix that pain? So those messages have to be very you-focused. It's not me. The fourth stage, which is the easiest stage, is content creation. And I just saw a friend of ours, Dan Norris, posted today. I haven't heard, listened to it yet about the difference between content marketing and blogging, but I'm going to guess what it is before I've listened to it. And he's right. Bloggers can be content marketers, sure, but blogging isn't content marketing. So content marketing is having a clear strategy, objective, goal in mind. This is not food blogging. You're not travel blogging. You're not sharing your thoughts with the world. The, if you're doing content marketing, I think a blog is a vital part of a content marketing strategy. But if you're content marketing, you have a purpose in mind. You have a customer in mind. You have a question in mind. You're, you're delivering value. You're answering a question. So the content creation is talking about the different types of content 
which most people I'm going to guess are pretty familiar with video, audio, podcasts, white papers, slideshare. I'm a big fan of slideshare these days if you're in the B2B marketplace. So there's talking about the content creation and putting it together, but that's easy. If you haven't got the first three sections right, all you're doing is throwing more words out into the void. And then the kind of fifth and final part of the playbook is creating your content distribution strategy. You've put all this time and effort into understanding who you are, who your customers are, you know, how they want to be spoken to, what kind of content they respond to, and writing great content or video editing or putting together great content. Now, how do you get it out to the world? Another big mistake I see, especially in you know, bloggers do this, is they think that putting it on their website's enough. Right? The problem with that is, is that I already have to have you on my website then. So you're already a caught audience, right? If if you're at my website, I've already won the attraction game. But yeah, it should be good to keep you there and keep you interested, but that's not going to actually help enter you into the, the beginning of the funnel, the big you know wide area of the funnel. I need to have a plan for how I'm going to get that out into the world other than just me. I'm a huge fan of social media. I love social media. I think it's great. I think people don't use it correctly most of the time. But the thing I say about social media is you have to very have a very clear plan about social media. Don't be everywhere. Say it again. Don't be everywhere. I do not have a Facebook page. I have a personal Facebook account, but I don't have a linchpin Facebook page because that's not how my customers are going to buy my service. I sell multi-thousand dollar B2B consulting packages on a monthly basis. I'm not going to do that through Facebook. Um, however, Twitter is a great way to get my message out there. Twitter is a great way to engage with customer base. So you need to figure out where your customers are and what social media platforms they're on. And that's where you should focus and pick one or two, two at the most and do those really well. And that leads into the, really the big part about distribution, which is what I call outreach, which is a blogging term. And I've co-opted it. I love it. And it's very powerful. And so when people ask me, like, who does blogging right? Last year, I would have told you Kissmetrics. And they still do. But they do an amazing job. But Kissmetrics were my – they were the gold standard I, I measure everyone by. But it, it made sense. I mean, they have a bunch of money. They have a big platform. They've got a content manager. They, it's a big – they're a machine, a content machine. I tell you who I like in the last couple of months has been the Buffer App guys. And Buffer App's a great social media tool. But basically, there's two guys there. And really, there's one guy doing most of the content. But what he's doing, Leo's doing, that's really clever, is having this plan of you know, every three pieces of content he writes, two of them go on his site and one of them goes somewhere else. And that outreach is what draws new people to you. But you can't just paste the world. This isn't some syndicate Frank Kern-esque trick to go out there and do guest posting or even copy blogger or pro blogger, those guys who I love, but this is not guest posting as a kind of traffic hack. This is a legitimately figuring out where your ideal audience already congregate, building relationships with those people, and then engaging with them and saying, hey, I have something I think would be of real value to your audience. And yeah, at the end of it, I expect a about me box with a link to my site, but it's not about link building. It's not about anything else. It's about literally delivering value and finding those influencers, finding them, your peers, your, your partners, and your customers. Or your peers, your customer partners, and your prospects, sorry. It's figuring out which one of those are important and putting the time and effort. And it's the cardinal rule of you don't just 
send blanket emails out to them. Hey, I want to write something on your site. And I also say, actually don't follow their rules. Like most of the bigger blogs will have guest posting criteria. Hey, fill this out and do this. I say, that's not the way to do it either. You want to build a relationship with them. And it's not that hard. It just takes time, right? You need to identify who they are and then you do things. You Twitter stalk them for a while and you don't become a sycophant. When they say something clever, you retweet it, right? You at reply them on Twitter. You engage with them on in their comment sections. And again, I think if you're doing this just for the sake of doing it, it becomes very clear. And I would say that is my overall suggestion to people when it comes to content marketing. Writing is a difficult thing or video or audio. And to do that, to be fake and do it is, is very hard. You know, your authentic self is going to be, is going to come through whether you want it to or not. So really look at your motivations for why you're doing it and look at your motivations for what what you're getting out there. And and it really does become this, I don't want to be kumbaya, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to be a you know new kid on the block, but you know there really is some value to this, creating true value for your audience to really trying to solve people's problems. And business does come about. Now you have to ask for the order and you can't just wait for them to give it to you. But if your motivation is wanting to solve a specific problem for a specific niche in a specific part of the world, it's amazing how quickly your business can grow doing that. And I went back to the originally I was talking about how I stumbled upon this playbook idea. It's also how I stumbled upon the market I serve where, so I made this idea where I was going to go into content marketing only. So started doing that, but then we'll still was a, a voice lost in the wilderness and said, okay, I really need to pick a niche to go after. And I did every intellectual exercise in the world. I'm going to pick plumbers or and for me, it was really, I was, I'm going to pick real estate agents or insurance agents because there's a lot of them and they spend money on sales training and blah, blah, blah. And, but I didn't know those industries. I had no credibility there. I couldn't really solve any of their real issues. I knew about more about content marketing than they did, but it wasn't a real, anything real. And I looked at my customer base that I was working with at the time and said, who do I really like working with? And at the time it was two technology companies. And then you literally hit your head against the wall and say, I'm a dummy. I've spent 20 years in software. Of course I like them. That's the business I understand. I know their lingo. I lived that. I have credibility there. I like the startup space. This makes sense for me. And as soon as I started saying, okay, you know what? I'm not just a content marketing company anymore. I'm a content marketing company just for software companies. And as soon as you do that, it's that antithetical thing where you think it's going to be, make, limit your marketplace. But the more you niche down, actually the more opportunity you get. Because now people are, can clearly understand who you are. You become more referable. It becomes easier to figure out where you need to be. And you're not being pulled in a million different directions. And my business I w- my business literally doubled in 90 days once I started saying no to businesses that didn't fit my perfect model. Yeah, it's fantastic. That entire strategy, I, what I'm, I'd love to do, I want to go back and I guess pick apart little bits and pieces. But just I think certainly... I guess what this playbook gives you, it gives you focus and niching down, as you say, I think if it does nothing else, it gets you on message and it makes your message very clear, digging so deep into it. And there's nothing to stop you from, once you've niched down so far, you can expand your reach once you've got that under control. But I think having a clear understanding of who your prospect is and who you're serving is very important. And that certainly comes about from this level of planning. Yeah, it, it's the thing I fought the hardest against. Dan Andrews from the Tropical MBA and Lifestyle Business Podcast, he's been telling me for two years, niche down, and, and philosophically I understood and I got it, but I just fought it. Just personally, I fought it. I was like, I come from this enterprise software background where you want to be do everything to all people, but it is truly, you're right. You focus on market, you deliver that market, and you can always expand. I would hope in two years, I'm serving the same market, but I'm serving, I'm doing more to them. So either I expand my services to that market or you expand your markets, but it's easier to get there once you're 
it's that old rugby analogy. It's easier to change direction when you're moving. So don't stand still and figure out, okay, now do I want to go left or right? Start moving forward and then figure out how to move. Definitely. All right. So I think one of the biggest issues out there, and this is something that I've, I've personally struggled with a little bit, and I know my listeners do because I've surveyed them and they've actually told me, is, as you say, content marketing is really the buzzword right now. And producing content can become quite addictive. So what I'd like to really dig into is certainly looking at the content goals. Now, you mentioned about reassessing your goals every 60 days. How formalized is this in your business set and how formalized do you do this for your clients? Yeah, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> so it's not as much as I'd love to be honest with you. And this is the playbook is very much a, a, a growing and live product. So my big focus right now is getting, you're right, it's very noisy right now. Everyone, I, I make the joke that content marketing is like social media consultants were three years ago. Everyone also became a social media consultant. All right. So like you were bombarded with social media and everyone was, everyone wanted to tell you how to do it correctly. And most of those guys didn't know anything, but that didn't mean that social media wasn't valuable. It's absolutely valuable. So it's the same with content marketing. I agree that it gets a little starting to get so much buzz. It's starting to rankle me a little bit, but to me, the way you stand out then is very much this kind of metric driven marketing approach. So how do we measure the success? Now the answer is it's difficult. Okay, so I'm right now, one of my primary objectives in the next kind of 30, 60 days is to make this a much better thing. So I'm talking to experts, analytics experts and different tools. And how do we, can we trick Google Analytics in doing this? Do we need to go deeper? Do I need to go buy mixed panel or whatever? And to me, it's not about the investment. It's about, can I get what I want? And it's twofold. One, I want to make sure that I'm spending time on the stuff that actually produces results. But I also want to be able to prove to my customers they're getting value out of what I'm doing for them. All right. So now the hard part is it becomes very difficult because perfect example. So let's just say, Jake, you hired me to write some content for you. And we put, I put together a couple of articles and spent a lot of time and you and I went back and forth and it's very iterative. And at the end of the day, we put together four articles that both of us were very happy with and we put them on the site. How do we measure success? There's a bunch of ways to measure it. You can measure it by engagement through your comment section. You can gauge it by how many times you get social media shared. You can gauge it by page views, right? How many people see it? How long are they on there? How long is it shared? Is there a call to action on that page? If the call to action is entered the funnel, what, what's it like? Let's maybe you have to test it against your existing ones, but none of those are perfect because really what happens is content marketing is very much a magnet, but it's also a filter. So you might come the first time, someone might come to your site because they saw an article that I wrote and say, okay, I like that and then leave, but then add you to their RSS feed. And then it's three weeks later, they enter into your marketing funnel. Right. So how do I know that their first engagement on the site was that? And so it's it is difficult. There is no perfect, easy answer right now. But what I would suggest is the place to start would be to look at some of the things that, you know, where you currently are and use them as baselines. So I'll go down and give some specifics that I currently use that aren't again, aren't great, but there's something. So one is unique visits. Right. So let's look at your 10 most recent blog posts. And what are their unique visits, right? How many unique visitors are each one getting? And then we'll use that as the kind of, as the base of our analysis. And then let's see the new content you create actually after you put all this work into planning, does that increase? Yes or no. Geography. So we're talking about reach now. How many countries are you reaching? Are those countries you want to be reaching? Then you will look at engagement. So engagement, you measure a couple different ways. So one, you can measure through through comments. I'm not a huge fan of comment measurement, but some people love it, right? A better engagement message, me, metric might be bounce rate or time spent on site. 
right? Is the bounce rate lowering, right? Was it 50% on the old content and now it's 40%? That's good, right? Do they used to spend 45 seconds on site and now they spend two and a half minutes? So we actually think they're actually reading the articles. So again, these are all these in combined together can start to paint a picture of are you writing compelling, engaging content? You can use heat map software, Right. So things like Crazy Egg or like even Visual Website Optimizer has a built in where people will track people's mouse movements on the page. So you can by that tell whether they're reading. It's not as strong for content as it would be like for an e-commerce site. But again, you can see it. Total page views. So is that going up? We go into we'll talk about social sharing and comments in regards to sentiment. But those are you know metrics you can take what you're currently doing. Then look at what you're, what, what you're, you know, after you've put all this time and effort into putting a plan together and moving forward and going forward. Now, one of the things I love to say about marketing, this is not, we don't market to be marketers, right? We market to sell things. So the ultimate goal is revenue increasing. But again, that's hard because you never know is revenue increasing because you're putting this time and effort and energy into content? Or is it because you went out to a conference last week and handed out your business card to 100 people? Ideally, we would be tracking everything. Here's how I look at analytics. There is no perfect answer right now. I think there are strong indicators through some of the the, uh, examples I've given you. Uh, But for me, it's about collecting it all. So collect it all now. And then when you finally figure out how to measure it, you can measure it. Because one of the things that I do talk about content goals is if I look at some of the companies that are in fields that I don't even care about, good friends of mine are Joe and Justin from the Asset Slippers. And they sell AdSense sites. I literally could not care less about AdSense. I couldn't care less about their, you know, the, the actual product they create at the end. But that's not what they really create. What they really create is a community. Right? So they built this community through spending so much time and energy on this amazing content and really showing people how to do this and really helping people build this business as these little micro businesses. And that sentiment is why they get customers and why their business keeps on growing end over end. Do they know exactly which post helps them? No, and they want to, right? They're one of the people in this kind of exploratory group I've got together trying to figure this stuff out. But there does come a little bit of, you can't measure everything. You can't measure the brand of it. You can't measure, but you should have strong indicators. If you put a lot of time and energy into this and you set yourself a goal for 90 days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver this. And if at the end of 90 days, you haven't moved the needle on any of these KPIs, then something's wrong, right? The quality of your content's not right. Or content marketing might not just not be the thing for your audience. There, there are markets that's just not perfect for. If you're a local plumber, maybe that's not the right market for you. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the, as you say, it's actionable analytics is probably the term that just about everybody is missing. And as you said, you've got to really have a clear idea of what you need to measure in order to measure it. And there's nothing out in the marketplace right this second, which tells you what you should be measuring as a baseline. I, the, the most reliable is after the fact, but the most reliable source is actually surveying, I believe. So it's actually talking to your customers once they become customers and asking them why did they become customers or how did they first hear about you or why did they give you enough trust to actually give you money. And I think a lot of times the companies are doing it right. They're going to say, oh, I found you through your blog or I saw you, I guess, post you did on XYZ company. And I think that's generally the most, but again, it's after the fact, right? So it's, we'd like to be a little more real time, but it's nothing's perfect yet, but now keep searching, track the minimum things I talked about, Control, track everything. So later on, if you figure it out, you can go back and look at it. But from a kind of thousand foot view, take a look at the, the six or seven things I pointed out and ask, just survey your customers, ask them what they like to, what they like to use. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's keep moving through. Let's have a look at uh, message strategy. Something which I hear often is that when you're building a customer persona or a customer profile, you should actually put a picture and a name to your customer profile. Is this something that you do? I go back and forth. Yes, you're right. And so the old school persona, like the Procter & Gamble's and those companies, that's exactly what they did. They had a picture of Pam and, and it's named Pam. And I do the naming thing. Like I might call them something like I might call it SEO Sam or something like that. Or I don't really do the picture anymore just because I hate clip art. <laughs> and, and I think it's like the demographics to me is not as important. So whether it's a 27-year-old white guy, a 27-year-old black guy, or a 29-year-old white female isn't as important as are they technical in nature? What other sites are they on? What is their buying behavior like? And I think sometimes pictures can paint a subconscious idea of who the person is when really for most companies, it's not that important. Right, they actually that what race they are, what sex they are, isn't as important as how do they make buying decisions? Are they technical decision makers? Are they emotional decision makers? You know, are they you know making a, a buying decision for their company and making a buying decision for themselves? And I think those kind of psychographics are much more important than demographics. That's a fantastic tip, and I guess. It's probably something that's become a lot more relevant as the web has opened up access to different markets. Because I guess back in the day when they didn't have the World Wide Web, you were actually targeting geographical areas. And sure. as a result of that, your market was so much smaller that you really had to use these more common traits across a total demographic, whereas now it really isn't. And it just made sense, right? So if you look at 10, 15, 20 years ago, people are still pretty tribal. It's just now our tribe is about our wants and needs and yes. our personality. It's not about where we physically are located or our race or anything else. But 20 years ago, it was, right? If you you had the corner shop, the reality was is that the people within 20 square blocks of that corner shop were probably all pretty similar in socioeconomic background, race, religion, all those things, because they're, it's a neighborhood, right? And by the very nature of neighborhoods, they gentrify, right? They become very similar to each other. That's how people do. But And we do the same thing now. Like you're a Redditor or you're not, right? Or you're 4chan versus Reddit. Those are different people. And it's not about those kind of old school demographics. It's more about how their personalities are. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. Okay, I'm going to skip through the funnel and content creation. These are, of course, very important. But I think what a lot of certainly content marketers forget or budding content marketers forget, which is the demographic of our listener base here, is the fact about if you build it, they will come. And it's certainly not the case. And you touched on it briefly in some of the strategy you recommend is uh, all, um, the buffer guys, Leo, putting two pieces of content on his own site and then putting a piece out into the wild for people to find him. Let's go into this a little bit in more detail. What sort of outreach outside of just contacting blogs do you do? So it starts with the list, right? So it starts with figuring out who you want to contact. So I use a number of tools there. The two biggest ones I use are WeFollow and FollowerWonk. Both are Twitter-based. Again, this for most of my, for all of my customers and for me and for most people that do any kind of business online, uh, Twitter is a pretty decent indicator. Right? There's very few people that are engaged in the marketplace or are thought leaders that aren't don't have some Twitter. And of course, there are some. But so I start there and I use keywords. So if I was doing work for an SEO company, I would say, okay, SEO X long tail and put it in there, and I'd find the kind of. 20, 30 people with the most Twitter followers, the 20, 30 people that are more, most active on Twitter. And I would 
would create, I would actually follow them and I would create in TweetDeck or in Hootsuite, I would create a list in Twitter for those people and I would target those people. And from that, I would then reach out to me, do they have a blog? If I do subscribe to their blog through RSS. And to me, it, it takes effort. There's work here, but every new market I walked into, I've found that nothing will help you short circuit the time it takes to understand that marketplace, like actually engaging on people's blogs and through social media. You want to get into X business. You want to get into sales training for insurance agents. Well, you go out and find the top 20 sales trainers for insurance agents and the top 20 insurance agents and the top 20 designers, website designers for insurance agents, and you subscribe to those 100 blogs and you read those 100 blogs, you're going to very quickly learn terminology. You're going to very quickly figure out how they talk. You're going to very quickly learn what acronyms mean and all those kind of things. And you're going to build up credibility very fast. And by doing that, you're going to find the people you like. You're going to find people that just tickle you. Maybe you like someone with a sense of humor or maybe like the guy because he's really got detailed posts or whatever it is. And you're going to engage with them. You're going to leave them comments and not comments plus one or great article, but more – I call it the insult sandwich. The best way to engage with someone is to give them an insult sandwich, which is, Jake, I love I love your podcast. It's great. And the one thing I don't like is the fact that you only do it once a week, all right? I really like the quality of it when it comes out. So the reality is, is that I'm trying to – and that's not a great one because more would be you want to give them – you want to insult them with a piece of information they could use. So a better one would be I don't I don't like your autoresponder series or whatever you do, you want to scope it that way. So for me, it would be generally what it is for me is I say, hey, it's on your site. Love your site. Love your product. Sign up for your trial. It's great. But actually, I don't think you're doing a very good job with your content marketing. Right? I see you only blog once a month. Right? I see you started three podcasts and then quit. I really like the so much time and effort and energy you put into your products. I wonder how successful you could be if you put that kind of time, energy, effort into your content marketing. Boom. Right? So now I've told you you're wonderful. I've told you there's a problem you've got, and I've told you you're wonderful again. Right? And people want to fix the problem. Their natural inclination is, hmm. Now, you got to be careful here. You can't be too salesy. You can't make it very clear. Right? If you sell vinyl siding, it can't be, hey, I love your house. But your vinyl siding sucks. Right? But you have to, again, I think intent means a lot here. So your intention has to be you really do want to solve problems. But then this goes back to really understanding your ideal client profile. So my ideal clients, it's not every single software company in the world. In fact, it's not even every funded software company. It's very early stage funded companies. And even then, it's not all of them. Then it's ones that aren't blogging correctly, like ones that are either aren't blogging at all or are blogging and putting out less than one post a week or the ones that put the blog posts they're putting out are very technical and they're not really doing social building. So it's really, I know who really needs me. Right. And the one people that really need me, they're the ones I reach out to. And that's why I think that you can't just skip to outreach. Right. You've got to have a clear understanding of who you are and who your customers are. But yeah, once you do, then you, you build these lists. And again, the cardinal rule is you can't just ask for something. You've got to build some level of relationship. And relationships aren't what people think they are anymore. Now, I would say of my five closest friends on the planet right now, three of them I've never met in face-to-face. That's just the way the world is now. I have people that have just absolutely just blown me away, have made huge impacts in my life personally, in my business, who I consider a close personal friend, who my relationship with them have been Skype, emails, shared forum exchanges, and the like. So building relationships, not you don't have to be in a certain city to do that. 
You don't have to be in a certain industry to do that. You just have to go out and look for like-minded people and really try to help them. And again, I go back. I don't want to sound all Red Cross kumbaya here, but if your intention is starting off, you want to help people, like you're trying to make a difference and help people and not make a difference like change the world, your thing. If you're a website designer, right, and you really like this company, you think they do great quilting, but boy, they're just not putting putting their best foot forward when it comes to their website, that comes across as real and valid when you engage with people. And it's the same with most people. And, and I find most people that are successful, most people that have a, a business they're building, entrepreneurial at least, comes from some love of the craft, whether that craft is drywall or web design or whatever it is, there is some inherent love of what they do and, and satisfaction of doing it correctly. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And a, a strategy which has worked very well for me is engaging in this manner, as you've just detailed. And I guess the counter to their next comment is, or oh, okay, I've got a bad website. What now? It's, hey, service businesses and not necessarily selling IP. Yes, that's a part of it. What they're selling, they're usually selling implementation. So the perception from a client's perspective is that the value of your service is your knowledge when it really isn't because knowledge with no implementation is really useless. Well, I mean, that's a great point. And that's like all of the, everyone that talks about free, right? You give everything away for free because they'll come back. They'll pay for you to do it. They'll realize how much work it is. They'll realize they don't have the skill set. I'm having professionals build, rebuild my site because I built the first one and it's crap, right? Because I, I know exactly what I want, but I can't build websites. I'm horrible at it. And so I'm willing to pay an expert to do it because it's not their expertise. It's, it's, it, you're right. It's not their knowledge I want. It's their expertise that I want, which is actually the doing. Yes, and, and, and you're correct. I think that I think the best way, if you're in a service business, to win businesses is actually to give away free advice. Now, my first sales call with someone, my first initial, so I'm very dissuasive too. I'm not very pitch sell. So I, I say you might my, my insult saying how much your site sucks. They you back to say, okay, great. I'm obviously on your site. I see you do this. Great. How can you help me? And then I'm actually very dissuasive on my next response. I'm like, I'm not sure I can. Right? I'm not for every, <laughs> I'm not I'm not for everybody. Right. Best first step is let's just get on a quick 15 minute phone call and see if we're a good fit for each other. Maybe we're not. And this just really just deflates any kind of barrier they're creating. I'm going to get sold because now I'm literally a consultant. I'm just coming in. I'm just going to consult. And, and, and it can't be fake. It's going to be sometimes, I mean, you've got to be willing to walk away from business and, and it's easy. Right. When you start talking to someone and you just know they don't get what you do and know that they can't, they're not going to implement the correct way. Then you just have to have the fortitude to say no to that business. But the reality is, is that generally doesn't happen. And when you get on the phone with that person, the first thing I like to do is I like to give them one or two really good, solid pieces of advice for what their problem is. And I don't charge them for that. I give it to them because you're right. Nine times out of 10, it's like, great, can you do it for me? Or if I hired you, would you do that? What else would you do? So now they're, ask, they're asking, how much of my wallet can I give you? Yeah, absolutely. Because once you've given them that information, they have to make a choice as to whether they use your IP, an expert in it, to implement for them, or if they utilize their own time and invest their own money into learning and implementing themselves. Absolutely. And, and you're going to get some of those, right? One out of 10 is going to say, great, thanks for the information. I'm going to go out and spend 40 hours learning HTML. Okay, cool. Good. Because that guy is not someone you want as a customer anyway. And I think that there comes a point, especially if you're in a service business, you've only got so much bandwidth. I've found that if you can figure out a way to productize what you do, build longer term relations with people, 
it's not keeping that funnel filled is not hard because you're not trying to replace 40 hours of work every week. There's only 10 hours of that that turns over every month. Right. So there's, that's the way I think to do it. It's just to be very helpful and engaging and literally, you know, almost every really successful service business I know, they have a literal, not a trick. They have a literal waiting list for customers, customers that want to give them their money. All right. Let's wrap it up. I've got one more question on this topic. No. Yeah. No more freebies. <laughs> now, Damien, personally, do you prefer to cast your net wide or get leverage by focusing in on one particular or a small number of influencers in your marketplace? Yeah, this is going to be like everything else. It depends, right? For me, I'm a focus guy, right? I'm all about, it's the lesson I fought so hard against this niching down, this focus. But now that I bought it, boy, I'm a true believer. So I'm more of a spend longer, build relationships with five really important people. But again, because if, if you've done your job right in the planning, those five important people are really important. And we're not talking about getting on TechCrunch just to say, hey, I was on TechCrunch, right? We're talking about being on some, somewhere that makes sense. And a lot of times, it's not your peer group. In fact, it probably isn't your peer group. It's probably someone serving a related industry. And my customer, one of my big roles with my customers is putting them together when it makes sense. And not from them, because they don't make sense to each other, but they both serve the same market in different ways. Those are people you should be targeting, right? So look for where your customers are. Look for other people that are servicing them in different ways than you service them. And those are people you want to go and engage with. This is the biggest mistake people make in networking, whether it's live networking or online outreach networking, is they spend all their time with their peer group. Who cares about your peer group? Your peer group already knows everything, right? They probably know more than you, right? And then they're all fighting for the same customers you're fighting for. Go where your customers are. And it sounds cliche and it sounds simple, but it's so few people actually do it because it's comfortable and easy to go to your, hang out with your peer group, right? There's no rejection there, but you want to figure out where your customers are and go there. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Damien, this episode has been incredible. We've shared so much. I think implementing something like this in planning, it's more about producing predictable results than going out there with a shotgun and just uh, willy-nilly producing content and hoping for the best. With this level of planning and detail, you are going to produce very predictable results. And I think if nothing else, listeners, that's the biggest takeaway for me and I hope it is for you as well in this episode. Yeah, and I think the one is, and I've come full circle on this a little bit, is content you create needs to be good, serve a purpose, and be delivered well. And you're better off with, don't listen to all these stats out there about 15 pieces of content a month doubles your leads. Yeah, it does, but that's a bad test because most of those companies that do it have huge teams. You're better off with one really good piece of content a week than you are with two eh, pieces of content. Besides just Google and SEO, the reality is the real trick or the real goal in creating content is shareability. Do people want to share this with their other with other people? That's how content goes viral. Is people saying, "Wow, this is awesome!" Someone else has to see this, and you don't do that by saying, "I must create four pieces of content this week." Boom! Here's the list post of seven ways to do this and that kind of thing. It does better by you really putting some time into answering the problems and questions your customer base has. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, Damien, let's wrap it up. Where can a our listeners find out more about you, and where can b listeners see where you're delivering content to in terms of some of your clients yeah me the best thing is just i'm a twitter twitter whore so at damian thompson d-a-m-i-a-n-t-h-o-m-p-s-o-n at reply me i'll definitely get back to you the website's linchpin.net l-i-n-c-h-p-i-n.net and yeah, so my customers, currently a couple of customers, a handful of customers that have actually got approval to say yes, <laughs> that they're actually customers are a help shift. They're an 
in-app support company out of Silicon Valley, doing pretty sexy stuff, doing some work with Rob Walling from Start for the Rest of Us for his hit with his Hitdale product, and Quote Roller, a proposal software company out of the Valley as well. I have a number of other com- customers as well, but those are the ones that I've actually gotten permission to say their name. We'll talk about them. Now, that's fantastic. Damien, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for sharing such high-value information with our audience. It's very much appreciated. No worries at all. And again, any questions someone has, just Twitter is the best. At Reply Me Twitter, and I'll try to answer in 140 characters or less. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Damien. No worries, mate. Okay, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. 